sure to celebrate and welcome all the campuses. They're already with us. If you need God, let me hear you shout amen. If you need the Lord, say, speak to me today, Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we want to thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house. God, we realize and understand and believe by faith that we are standing on holy ground at all of our campuses. And Father God, I ask that you would minister to us today. I ask that you would look down upon your church, New Hope Church and churches all over this land, Lord God. And that in what we do and what we think and what we believe and how we respond, Lord, we pray that it would bring a, a smile to your face, Father God. We pray that you would be pleased with your church today. God, as we open your word, we submit to the authority of Scripture, as we've been calling it in this series, the pinnacle of Scripture. Speak to us, Father God, for your servants are listening. We love you today, God. We thank you for your house. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray it all in his matchless name. And the people of God said together, amen and amen. Come on and celebrate him one more time. You may be seated. How's everybody doing today? You good? You ready to hear the word of the Lord? Amen. Hey, if you're a guest here, my name is Benji, and I am so thrilled that you are here today. I get the awesome, unbelievable privilege of serving as the pastor of this church and just honored, actually blessed that you would come and spend a few moments with us today. Again, I know we've already celebrated them, but I just want to welcome the Hillsboro campus. I thoroughly enjoyed being with you and your leaders on Wednesday night and praying for you today. I also enjoyed being with the Columbia campus on Thursday. I've been traveling all over the Carolinas this week, church. Had a great time with you guys on Thursday night. Welcome to the Sanford campus, the Wake Forest campus, Garner campus, North Durham, the two... North Durham in the house, the two Kenya campuses, you folks here at the Durham campus, and of course, everybody online. Would you just help me welcome everybody one more time? We are one church in many locations, tend to be exact. God is good. See, I caught you off guard, didn't I? God is good. All the time. Yes, he is. Hey, a couple things, uh, just ever so quickly. I uh, just want to praise uh, the Lord for Monday night worship and the way it's going. It has been an incredible start, uh, I think even more than I was expecting. And uh, for those of you who are coming on Monday nights, thank you. You've created parking spaces and seats uh, during the week. I want to say to the campuses, what's been great on Monday nights is that often we'll see people come from the other campuses to here because they were out of town on the weekend or they work on the weekend. So it's just really cool. It just emphasizes one church, many locations. So if you want to still give that a try, you come anytime you want. Monday nights, 6.30 p.m. right here. Music's a little different, a little more chill if you like more quiet music. It's not, it's not 
It's not elevator quiet, but <laughs> it's a little more intimate. Um, and if you like smaller crowds, it's a smaller crowd. And so you can come tomorrow night. If you like today, you're like, I want to do that again. Come tomorrow night or next Sunday, just skip church. Just skip church in the name of Jesus. You never thought you'd hear a pastor say that. Sleep in, fish, play golf, whatever you want to do. And, um, and then just come on out Monday and you'll be right on track with Monday night worship. Last thing, I want to tell you about a worship concert that we're having here. It's the night of worship, October 17th at 7 p.m. How many of you have been to one of our worship concerts? Are they awesome or what? If you haven't experienced it, come on out October 17th. We do this about four times a year. It is unbelievable. October 17th at 7 p.m. Okay, so we're in a series called what, church? God Speaks. And um, we've been at this now about five weeks, maybe it's four, um, but you'll remember Hurricane Florence interrupted us. So we took a break. And um, we're back at it. And you might recall that I told you the very first week, kind of the outline of the series. So the first thing that we talked about, we've already, we've already talked about this one Sunday. Let's see if you can bless me and remember. It's the pinnacle of one person right down here. <laughs> I know you weren't ready, right? It's all right. I caught you off guard. Write it in. It's the pinnacle of Scripture, Okay. So the primary way in which God has historically, traditionally been speaking to his people is through scripture, through the Bible, through the word of God. Can I get an amen? amen. The second thing, and I haven't taught on this, is, this is what we're talking about today. It's the presence of, any guessers in the house? You got it. The presence of people. Now you're blessing me. The purpose of pain. Wow, we got some folks learning up in here. The potential of Dreams. Okay. Five, the power of? Huh? Promptings. You got it. We'll talk about open doors. Right? The power of promptings. How do you step through those doors when God opens them? How do we learn to back off when God closes doors? And the possibility, I use this word intentionally, the possibility, you got to say possibility because sometimes your desires are like mine and they're jacked up. Right? So it's the possibility, write it in, of desires. Desires. I don't think we pay enough attention to desires. We can get in trouble if we don't learn to really think about it. But they're very, very powerful. And I might add another week or two when it's all said and done. I don't know. But I'm, I really sense that our church as a whole is really engaged in this series. And on any Sunday, if you want a copy of the message, go to the Resource Center. And at the end, we'll put the whole packs together. I also started in the beginning with three key points that I wanted to kind of frame the entire series. A bold statement, a bold question, and a bold prayer. Okay? Here's a bold statement. Write this in your notes somewhere. I don't think this is in there, but you can write it in if you want. A bold statement. Learning to hear God's voice is the, not one of, is the solution to thousands of problems I will face in my life. That's why this series is so important. I mean, just look at that statement. I know it's a bold statement, but I firmly believe it, believe it to be true. Learning to hear God's voice is what, church? The, the solution 
to thousands of problems I will face in my life. This is why you don't want to miss a single Sunday and you really want to hunker down and keep studying this stuff when the series is done until you feel like you have, you've come a long way and maybe even mastered it. Here's a bold question. Is God's voice the loudest and clearest voice in my life? Might be no, just, just think about it and come to terms with your truth. Is it the loudest and the clearest voice? Because here's the deal. We've got voices coming at us all day long, every week, right? And the question that I'm going to be pushing us towards is, have we learned, are we implementing this stuff so that we actually are dialed in, here's a key word, to the right frequency of hearing God's word? And here's a bold prayer, and I'm just going to ask you to pray this with me right now. And I want you to keep praying it as the days and weeks unfold. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Come on, say it with me. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. One more time in the trifold God that we serve three times. Ready? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So take out your teaching notes. Grab that pen in front of you. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. So the primary point that we're going to hunker in on today and fo focus exclusively on is this whole idea. The second love language of God, the second love language God uses to speak is people. Is people. God speaks to people through people. And here's the key thing. Don't miss this. God wants to speak through you to other people. Some of you have never been taught that. Some of you you, you, you can't imagine that God would use you. I want to let you know unequivocally clear that God wants to use your life. If you believe it, can I hear an amen? God wants to use your life. Not only does God want to use your life, God wants to speak through you into the lives of other people. The second love language God uses to speak to us is people. Of course, under the pinnacle of Scripture... That's the, the first and most authoritative thing. God will never speak through people to you that contradict Scripture. Ooh, I, I said that earlier on too. I want to make sure you get that. God does not ever contradict His Word. And so if somebody comes up to you and they I got a word for you, and they give you a word and it's not, it doesn't line up with Scripture, uh-uh. We're going to camp out on that a little bit later. But it's under the authoritative pinnacle of Scripture where God speaks to us. Now in Numbers 11... I want you to maybe think about reading this whole chapter later today, if you would, or sometimes this week, Numbers 11. We're going to start in verse 23. But in the first few verses of Numbers 11, you see that, that God's anger is aroused. God's anger is spurred up. God's anger comes down in fire. And it all comes down to the fact that the people of God are complaining. Now, I don't know if you ever feel this way, but sometimes I feel like when I get into a complaining mood, and all of us, when we think about it, most of us just complain about first world problems, right? And, you know, I'm getting, I'm in a negative mood or I'm complaining. I think, I think it has to frustrate God because God's like, do you know how good you got it? Number one. Number two, my son Jesus came down from heaven to earth and died on a cross for you. Why don't you stop complaining about all that stuff, Benji? God's anger is aroused in the first few verses of Numbers 11. And then I want you to skip down to verse 23. This is where I'm going to start reading. God kind of speaks to Moses. Moses comes in, kind of brings calm to a very chaotic situation. Verse 23, if you love the word of the Lord, let me hear an amen. amen. Verse 23, the Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. Verse 24, so Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. 
he brought together 70 of the elders and had them stand around a tent. So, so just get an image of this. He picks 70, they come, they gather around a tent. Moses stands before them. The spirit of the Lord was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the spirit of God rested on them, they what church? They what? Prophesied but did not do so again. So 70 people, the power and the spirit of the Lord came down on Moses. Moses prayed over them. The spirit of the Lord anointed them. They started prophesying. In other words, they started speaking for God. And they did not do it again. They stopped. They did it one time. Like that, that's enough. Now watch this. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad. Now moms, if you're expecting... recommend those names, but you might be able to pull it off. Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them and they did what church? They prophesied in the camp. A young man ran out and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Verse 28, Joshua Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, Lord, Moses, stop them. So Joshua didn't want them to keep speaking for God. Joshua said, Moses, stop them. They're still doing it. Now watch this. This is key. Verse 29. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were what? And that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Read, read that last part in yellow, go. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses says, I wish all people, who? All people would let me anoint them so that they can speak on my behalf. Tap your neighbor's shoulder, look at him and say, that includes you. All people, all people. That includes everybody here, balcony, you're not, you're not excluded. That includes you. <laughs> that includes the campuses. All people. Now, let me just acknowledge, okay, let me just acknowledge that the moment I start talking about prophecy and the moment I start talking about prophetic anointing, some of you lock up. You lock up. You get, you get tense. You get stressful. And I want to come to your side right now. I totally understand. I totally understand. Many of us, we don't know what to do with that whole prophetic anointing language. Why? Because we've seen bad prophecy. We've seen it in action. I shall never forget the time I encountered it head on, face to face. The year was 2012. My wife and I decided to get away for a weekend, just the two of us, praise God, hallelujah, amen. <laughs> we went to Atlanta, Georgia for the final four. If you don't know sports, Final Four is when the Final Four teams get to match up in basketball. Woohoo! And uh, we went to Atlanta, 2012, and uh, Duke was supposed to be in the championship game, but they didn't. <laughs> they didn't make it. It didn't work out. You might recall it was Michigan and Louisville. Listen, I I gotta stop. It's not Louisville. <laughs> and it's not bless Charles Barkley's heart. It's not Louisville. Okay, listen, let me just teach you for a moment. This is, this is, this is not biblical. It's Louisville. 
I lived in Kentucky. If you say Louisville, or I heard Charles Barkley on TV one day say Louisville, people from Kentucky will laugh at you. It's Louisville. Anyway, I digress big time. We're, I'm walking down the sidewalk with my wife up to the big arena. Giant sidewalk, thousands and thousands of people heading in at, at game time. I think it was the Friday night game. I don't think it was the championship game. I might be wrong on that little tidbit. And I'm walking down this sidewalk and I see there's all kinds of vendors and they're selling things, but I see one group of people up on the left-hand side and I started to notice that they were yelling. They weren't selling anything. And I started to notice they were yelling. They had lots of signs. And I started to notice that people were stopping at all the other tables and vendors, but nobody was stopping at theirs. I got close to them and I started to realize they were doing it all in the name of God. Now, maybe you've heard of this group. I'm, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say I had not heard of this group in 2012. I come to find out that they were very popular and most people had heard of them. I had not. It, maybe you have. It's called the Westboro Baptist Group, Westboro Baptist Revival Group, something like that. And so I got up there and they started yelling prophetically all of this stuff in the name of God. And um, I, I wanted to keep walking and my wife wanted me to keep walking, but I, I couldn't. <laughs> Amy was like, no, come on, come on. She knew it. She knew it. I, she goes, come on, come on, come on. And I'm like, no, no. And she kind of, she has mine. I just kind of broke away. And I went up to this group. I did, I did. And um, can I show you a couple pictures of them? Because you, you might not have experienced this. This is the group I'm talking about. Hey, God hates you. How about that? Um, God hates adultery. God hates divorce. Look at her shirt. God hates the media.com. I get God just hates everybody. Let me show you one more. Destruction is imminent. Obey or perish. Thank God for dead soldiers. God hates your feelings. <laughs> You're going to hell. Oh, God hates, I, I have a hard time even saying it. Fag enablers. No peace for the wicked. And so Amy Lynn is pulling me in one direction, and I am resisting my wife <laughs> to get over here and have a conversation with these people. And so I, I, I get up to the, they had a little fence right in front of them blocking them. And so I get up to the fence and um, I start trying to get this guy's attention. And he's the one yelling, God hates soldiers and God hates gays and, and this and that. And um, I say, come here, come here. And, and he kept yelling. And so I said, And, and he, he got mad at me for interrupting him. So he put his sign down and he walked over to me. And I, got, I said, hey, um, I, don't, I don't know if you figured this out. That's exactly what I said. This is not working. <laughs> I said, nobody's stopping. And those who are stopping are yelling back at you. This is not working. He kind of ignored me. I said, no, no, no. Look at me. Look at me, sir. I said, I did. I said, by, the time, by this time I look back and Amy's down there about 40 yards just looking at me. I said, I said, I said, this is not working. And I said, I'm a pastor. And I can tell you, this is not working. And without hesitation, he didn't miss a beat. He stood up, looked at me and pointed his finger at me and he said, do you have gays in your church? I said, I think so. <laughs> he goes, he goes, no, 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 he goes, 
do you have divorced people in your church? I said, for sure. He, he said, he, he said, do, do you have soldiers in your church? And blood vessels popping out, man, sweat. And I said, oh yeah, God bless America. And he said, I'm not lying. He said, well, then you and all of your people are going to hell. Now, if you don't know me, you know, I, I haven't always been a Christian. <laughs> and there was a day when, when I would want to jump over the little picket fence and show him some hell. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I, I died to self. I was like, oh God, oh God, help me not sin. Help me not sin in this moment. And I look back at Amy Lynn and she's going. <laughs> so I, I walked away, man. I died to self. I walked away. Guys, it took me half the basketball game just to calm down. Let me be unequivocally clear. That is not prophetic prophecy. That is not speaking. I will say it again, sister. <laughs> that is not, that is not speaking for God. Listen to me closely. Prophetic anointing is never mean-spirited. Prophetic anointing is never self-serving. Prophetic anointing never delights in speaking of judgment and hell. Now, I believe there is a heaven, and I believe there is a hell, and I believe real people go there because the Bible says that. But I hope and pray I never speak of judgment or hell with delight in my heart. Prophetic anointing, listen, listen, write this down. Prophetic anointing, and I'm just using that as a way to say speaking for God. When a person speaks for God... It should always err on the side of calling out goodness in people. It should always call out destiny, purpose. Prophetic anointing calls out turning from sin, yes, at times, and hatred, but always turning to the God of love. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For the record, I don't think it should ever come out of a human being's life, mouth that God and hate is in the same sentence. And I realize that as I talk about this subject, some of you are going to get tight because you've had people try to speak into your life and you've seen bad examples just like me. And we cannot let bad examples take us out of the game of realizing that God, again, wants to speak to you through people and he wants to speak through you to people as they speak to you. It goes both ways. So write this down. Number one, going to be a very teaching-oriented message today as opposed to maybe preaching. Number one, God longs to use, I put it in first person so you would know it applies to you and not just me. God longs to use my voice. My voice to speak to others in order to point them towards Jesus and draw out goodness and what, church? destiny. God used a prophet named Nathan to rebuke King David. Do you remember that? He used an uncle named Mordecai to exhort Queen Esther. And he wants to use you. Just let that settle in for a moment. He wants to use you. He wants to speak through you to other people. So write this in as a sub-point. So I think it's letter A in your teaching notes. Embrace the prophetic anointing to sometimes speak on God's behalf with the goal being, this is key, redemption and not 
confrontation. I hate to break it to you. Well, let me ask this first. How many of you kind of, you, you know some confrontational people? Like every time you see them, they want to argue. Every time you see them, they want to tell you what's wrong with your life. Every time you see them, they tend to have a word from God. And if it's not a word from God, they just like to argue. Now, everybody, a lot of people say you, you've, you've experienced that. Let me just say to you, if you're a confrontational person, listen to me. Everybody wants to say this to you. I'm just the only one that'll say it to you. Nobody wants to be around you. Can I get an amen from the same people in the house? No, nobody wants to be around you. Ain't, ain't nobody got time for that. Life's hard. Life's hard. It's both beautiful, beautiful and brutal. I believe that. It's hard. And, and nobody wants to be around a confrontational person. It's, it's, just, it's just the way it is. And so when you speak for God, err and lean towards redemption and not confrontation. You say, well, where do you get that from? I'm glad you asked. Galatians 6.1. Read this out loud with me. Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should report, restore that person what? Gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Tempted to do what? Not do it gently. Okay. By definition, if you look at Galatians 6.1, a prophetic word is strengthening, it's encouraging, and it's comforting. It's what church, say those three things with me. It's strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. B, write it in, subpoint under that number one. Always encourage before you correct. Always encourage. Parents, if you're teaching your children, Always encourage them before you correct them. You're like, sometimes I don't feel like encouraging them. <laughs> and sometimes, let me just kind of course correct myself here. Sometimes it, you, you might need to go ahead and correct them before you encourage them because they done messed up. But try to sandwich it in some encouraging. Guys, if you're going to try to correct your wife, though, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> encourage before you correct, okay? This is key. Always encourage before you correct. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Come on, you're reading scripture well today. Go. Encourage one another and build each other up. Encourage one another and build each other up. If you're a pastor out there, I know a lot of pastors watch our feeds, or you maybe you're at a campus and you're just a pastor visiting. That happens a lot too. I, I want to tell you that sometimes the church, in the, especially in the last decade or so, we've kind of gotten off base, I think, just my opinion, with confusing corporate language and working corporate language into the church. And so what you see sometimes is, is pastors um, referring to themselves or the boards referring to them as a CEO of the church. CEO. I don't like that language. Like, I think I, I am a pastor. I'm not a CEO. I, a pastor means shepherd, servant. I want to be the chief servant around here. But let me just say to the pastors out there, if you are going to use that language, I got a new definition for CEO. Chief, encouraging, officer. That, that is, if we're going to use that language, there's a new definition for you. Pastors should be the most encouraging people on the planet, those who speak for God. Here's the second thing. Write this down. God longs to use other people's voices to speak into my life in order to move me towards Jesus, discipleship, and holiness. So the first one is all about me and you coming to terms with the fact that God wants to speak through us 
in an encouraging way, in a redemptive way. But secondly, it's a two-way communication. God wants to use people to speak into your life. Let me um, talk to you about something that I first remember hearing about all the way back in undergraduate school at the University of South Carolina. I would venture to guess some of you learned this as well. Uh, some schools don't cover it in undergrad. They save it for graduate school, so maybe you learned it there. But I'm talking about the Jahari window. The Jahari window. J-O-H-A-R-I. The Jahari. Find a place to jot some notes on this in your teaching notes. I didn't have room to put it in there for you. It's the Jahari window. The reason it's called the Jahari window is it was created and invented by two guys. One was named Joe and one was named Harry. And they're like, they started fighting over whose name they were gonna use, I guess, and they decided the Jahari window. Now in this window, they put four quadrants. And instead of trying to fit it all in here, I asked the productions team just to put it on the slides. The Jahari window. And these guys came up with this to help you and me. And it's, it's secular. It's, this is not biblical, but it's very, very helpful. They, they came up with this to help us understand our identity, our psyche, what we know about ourselves and what we don't know about ourselves. And they formed four quadrants. The first one is the open quadrant. The what church? The open quadrant. This is your public persona. Every one of us has one. It's your public persona. This is what you tend to post on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. It's, it's, it's that open area of your life. Maybe it's your stories on Instagram. It's your public persona. I, I bought this shirt one time and um, I've never been able to wear it. I'll explain that in a moment, but, but this is kind of related to the open quadrant. Um, yeah, I'll get you some of this right here. May your life someday be as awesome as you pretend it is on Facebook. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? This, this, is that, oh, this, is, this is the image that we try to project to the world. And I bought it because I loved it so much. But guess what? I've never been able to wear it. Many times I've gone in, taken it off the clothes, off, off, off the hanger to put it on. And I haven't been able. And this week as I got to thinking about that, I realized why. It's confrontational. It's what I just talked against. This is, this is just starting the conversation from a confrontational perspective. But this is that open quadrant in the Johari window. Here's the next one, and we all have this one as well. It's the blind spot quadrant. The blind spot quadrant. This consists of those things that you don't know about you, but others know about you. Come on, come on, guys. This is walking around with your fly open. One of my greatest fears walking out on this stage with my fly open. And one time that happened to me. And I realized, in fact, actually somebody on the front row went, you know what I did? You know what I did? If I'm lying, I'm dying. I said, let's all close our eyes and pray together. <laughs> I did, I did. And then I, then I knew some people keep their eyes open during prayer. So I went, let's pray. <laughs> I'm telling way too much. But guys, this is your fly open and your son is the only one that says, yo, yo, dad. You gotta zip it up, babe. This is, this is the blind spot. Number three, it, the, the hidden or facade quadrant. This consists of the things you know about you, but others don't know about you. 
This is, this is your alter ego, right? This is who you are when no one is looking, which is integrity, by the way. This is the curtain that hides the real Wizard of Oz, if you will. This is where people sometimes fake it until they make it, but that usually kills us spiritually. But this is, this is why we hide emotionally. It's, it's the hidden or facade quadrant. And then quadrant four, very simply put, the, the Johari windows teaches, this is that area of you and that area of me that I don't even know about, nor do other people know about. This is subterranean. This, this is deep. Now, the point in all of this, don't miss this, is that we all have unresolved issues. We all have unhealed hurts. And whether or not we recognize it, we all work from a plethora of defense mechanisms, conditional reflexes, and coping strategies that if we're not aware of it, we'll just go through life blindly. And this is why it is so important to let people that we trust, people that we love, speak to us, speak into our lives because they help us address these blind spots. They help us address facades that we might be building in our life. This is what helps us know who we are. And it's how we get better. John Calvin, the great founder of Presbyterianism, he said this, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God, right? This is key. So what we want to do is we want to learn to humble ourselves and let people speak into our lives. We want to learn to listen to the right day. There is a wrong day, and you don't want to listen to the wrong day, but you want to listen to the right day. And only, I'm going to use this word intentionally, only a fool I'm going to show you a verse in a moment. Only a fool walks through life so proudly, so arrogant, and doesn't let other people speak into their lives. I feel led to share with you something that I've started doing over the last five years. Um, and this is, this is going to take courage if you were to ever employ this. But sometimes I'll sit across from people, sometimes people on the staff team here, and I'll ask this question. Think about asking this to your spouse or your kids or somebody you work with especially if you're in a role of leadership, I'll ask this question. What's it like working with me? Do, do, I, do I have any blind spots that you're noticing these days? Look at this verse, Proverbs 1, 5, and 7. Let the wise do what, church? Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord, read this out with me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay? What if you left today more open to godly people, the right they, speaking into your life? A, consider the character of the person speaking. If you don't have any character and you're not walking with God, I don't want to hear anything you have to say. If somebody tries to speak into your life, they got a word from God. You ever had anybody try to talk to you about something, you look at their life and it's a mess? You ever had somebody try to talk to you about your marriage and you're like, have you seen your marriage? So you want to make sure, you want to make sure 
You're listening to a person of character because if you don't have character or you're not walking with God or you don't have a prayer life or you're not reading the Bible, listen, if you try to speak into my life, the only thing I'm going to try to glean from you is what not to do. Agreed? But man, you get somebody who's walking with God and they have character, you want to listen to them. You want to listen closely because God could very well be speaking through them. B, don't let the arrow of criticism pierce your heart unless it first passes through the pinnacle of so if somebody criticizes you or they try to speak into your life you want to make sure it lines up with scripture if it doesn't line up with scripture you don't want to have anything to do with it again God never contradicts his word through people through pain through dreams promptings desires God never compromise the sacredness of scripture So don't let the arrow of criticism pierce your heart without running it through that. But here's a key point. If you're going to do anything great in life, anything great in life, particularly for God, but I'd say it kind of goes across the board, you will have to learn to receive criticism. Some of us are so afraid to be criticized that we never really do anything boldly. It was Aristotle who said, and I've always loved this quote. He said, to avoid criticism, say nothing, (laughs) do nothing, be nothing. And I just know that you're a new hoper and you don't want that for your life. Amen. Learn to embrace constructive criticism. Learn to humble yourselves and hear from those who want to speak into your life. Listen, criticism will come. C, develop and nurture. This is key. We'll end here today. Develop and nurture deep, what church? Write it in. Deep friendships along the way and invite those that, this is so key, love you to speak into your life. The last thing I'll say today, and this is, this is not a message about rugged individualism or isolationism or life groups for that matter, though I'm going to talk about it in just a moment. This is a message about God speaking through people to you and you speaking to other people. But let me just say in closing, don't go it alone. I just feel the Holy Spirit saying, I just need to say this. Some of you are here and at one of our campuses and you are just so lonely. You, you don't have a band of brothers or sisters that you're doing life with. Family's not here. The people at work get on your last nerve. Your neighbors you can't stand. And you're just going at it lonely. That's not God's plan for your life. Do not go it alone. John Don once said this, no man is an island unto himself. We all need God to speak through people into our lives. And if we're going to live a fulfilled life, we all need to let God speak through us into the lives of others. This is why going to church is so important, but not just on Sundays. Because listen, I realize this is powerful, but let me be clear. This is vertical. Sure, we high five one another and we love it and we celebrate. But this, this Sundays is vertical. It's you hearing God's word, singing to God, applying it to your life. It's this way. But if you're going to start letting people speak into your life and you're going to start speaking into their life, you got to have those times where it's not vertical, but it's horizontal. Where I'm actually connecting with people. And some of you are so lonely. Who's your people? 
Who are your peeps? Who's the band of brothers or sisters that, that you're doing life with and people are speaking into your life and you're speaking into others? Do y'all know C.S. Lewis? <laughs> C.S. Lewis the Great. You probably never heard this before. C.S. Lewis didn't like church. Did you know this? He didn't want to go to church. C.S. Lewis said that the songs, he couldn't stand them because he felt like they were fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. <laughs> he didn't like the sermons. He said they were boring. He didn't like going to church. Again, C.S. Lewis, but look at this. Look at this. He said he went to church because he believed that if he didn't, he would fall into something he called solitary conceit. He knew enough to know I need to be around people who are speaking into my life and I'm speaking into their lives. Would you open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2? The very first church after Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, buried, and rose again, the very first church is recorded about in the book of Acts. I want you to notice what they did. This is not on the screen. I just feel led to read it in closing. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with all. Everybody say all. Now, if you're not from the South, I'm not saying all. All. At many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. You're like in a temple court now. This was that. This was the large group gathering. They met in temple courts. And they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So you get the scene. They're in the temple courts with the large group. That was the church large group gathered, just like we're doing here and in all of our campuses. And then they met in homes. And they met in homes and they sold their possessions to give to everybody who had need. They prayed together. They shared their possessions. They did, And they spoke into each other's lives. And so again, this is not a message on life group, so I'm not gonna belabor the point. But who are your peeps? Are you in a life group? You know, I was called into ministry by being in a life group of guys who early on, 29 years ago, started speaking into my life saying, we can see you in ministry. I was a pharmacy major church. So in the most pivotal things I've ever heard through the mouths of people have been in life groups or what we call small groups. So I want to invite you, you write this down. You'll see this on the screens. If, if you're longing, when I start talking about being lonely and you're like, man, that is me. I want to invite you to get in a life group. Here's what you do. You email life groups, plural, life groups at newhopechurch.org, life groups at newhopechurch.org. Just leave that up for a moment. Just take out your pen, write it down or Type it into your phone right now, lifegroups at newhopechurch.org. But an easier way is to text. Text. NH for New Hope Life Groups. Text that to 59769. NH Life Groups to 59769. And there's a band of brothers and a band of sisters. And if we don't have one, we'll form one where you can get in and you can be in community with folks. Can you imagine what it would look like? Just pause for just a moment and imagine what it would look like 
for us to be a church that's hearing God speak to us regularly. Through this Bible, yes, through others. And what would it be? Could you imagine what it would be like to be a community of faith at all of our campuses where we are actually dialed into scripture and we're hearing God speak to us through people. We're doing the same. We're learning to listen to our pain. We're learning to listen to our dreams and discern, hey, is that from you, God, or was that the pizza I ate last night? We learn to listen and observe and discern because I believe God's always speaking to us throughout the day. We just don't see the doors opening and closing. We actually get better and learn the power of the promptings and the possibility of desires. And when our desires are messed up, we let the Holy Spirit of God come in to sanctify those desires. And we actually learn to listen, Psalm 37, 4, to the desires of our hearts. May it be so in this church's life. More particularly, may it be so in your life. Pray with me, please. Father, um, thank you. Thank you for your word. God, it's, it's so much easier to say than do. It's so much easier, Father God, to hear than actually do. But Lord, I pray that in your kindness and in your mercy, you would you would increase the volume of your voice around here these days. Father, I pray that we would dial in more, more directly to the frequency of your voice. And Father, I pray that as your people leave the campuses today, Father God, that they would be more surrendered, maybe a little more humbled to realize that there are godly people who want to speak into my life and help me follow you more faithfully. And God, that you in your kindness and your mercy want to speak through me into the lives of others. Father, have your way with us today. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.